fascinating, fascinating, fascinating indictment. And the fact that the Republican Party was, let's face it, for lack of a better word, colluding with a Chinese spy in order to damage the United States of America, in order to try to impeach a president of the United States. This, to me, feels like it should be a massive deal. I mean, this is this is like straight up treasonous, maybe not in the legal uh, sense of the term, but certainly in the definition that most people use the term in. This is absolutely anti-American. And once again, the projection from these people, the projection while they are working with somebody who is an unregistered agent of the Chinese government to try to attack this country. And here's the thing, I'll, I'll go on record. If you've got 17 audio tapes of President Biden colluding and taking bribes with a foreign country, guess what? I'll think that President Biden should be impeached. But I'll even go a step further. If President Biden sent one QAnon meme, if he just posted once, on the Joe Biden Twitter account, you know, just, you know, you know, but by the way, if, if he, if he threw out one Pepe the Frog, setting aside, if, one if Biden threw out, if he threw out one Pepe the Frog post on his, you know, Instagram or Twitter account, for all of the great things that he did from the Infrastructure Act to the Inflation Reduction Act to the PACT Act to the CHIPS Act, guess what? He would lose my support once, if he just did it once. You know, and it wasn't like that he was hacked or something. I would be like, that's unforgivable. Why? Because you're supposed to have standards. If you're out there tweeting Pepe the Frog or QAnon memes or things like that, you're unqualified. You're not held to the high standards that we should all have of leadership. Yet, Donald Trump, for the past 12 to 18 months, has posted over 550 QAnon memes on his Blah. social media platform, in addition, in addition to the 30 posts every day where goes, the range Jack Smith, Warthog Jack Smith, Mad Dog Psycho Jack Smith. It's like, I, you know, I've I, I changed my format in covering these Donald Trump posts because having done hundreds of them, I mean, they also kind of get boring. So I, I, I make sure I do the Biden ones at first to compare them to Trump and show the contrast in a different way. Because I read the, 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 the Trump ones and it's just like, I'll start reading them. Like, All right, man, like, we get over it. Like, buddy, like, you are just a whiny, whiny, petulant, fascist baby. But speaking of the whiny, whiny, petulant, fascist baby, of course, there's a criminal case against him in the Southern District of Florida. His co-defendant in that case, Walt Nauta, was supposed to be arraigned June 13th, but couldn't find a lawyer. He claimed a Florida-licensed lawyer, that is, so it got continued to June 26th or 27th, I forget which one. But then at that one, his out-of-state lawyer, Stanley Woodward, showed up and said, you know what, I'm sorry, my client couldn't even make it because his flight got canceled. I guess he was too busy eating chili Philly cheesesteaks with uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump's keeping Walt Nauta like, basically like locked by his hip, and he is not letting Walt Nauta go out of his sight. It's like such a bizarre thing to watch. So, But the judge continued it to July 6th, and finally Walt Nauta arraignment took place. He found a lawyer, Sasha Dayton, 
who has like billboards where she says like, are you like a drunk mess? Give me a call. Like some weird advertising there by his new lawyer, Sasha Dayton. But then earlier in the day, Walt Nauta said that he couldn't, he was not going to be ready by this status conference that's supposed to take place on July 14th. It's supposed to be what's called a SEPA status conference, Classified Information Procedures Act. It goes over the processes of handling the classified information, the discussion of an appointment of a classified information security officer. It's like one of the first big status conferences in the case. And Walt now just said, hey, my other lawyer, Stanley Woodward, out of state, he's in trial, so he can't make it. And my lawyer, Sasha Dayton, she's not even familiar with the file. She hasn't even filled out the forms yet to be certified as a lawyer in this case because even though she made her first appearance, she hasn't filled out her forms yet uh, to get the appropriate clearances to be able to be my lawyer in this case. So I need time. I'm not going to give you the date, Judge, but just please continue the July 14th uh, conference. I would say within minutes, Jack Smith, like, responded, and, like, Jack Smith made the Walt Nauta motion look stupid, because Jack Smith's like, okay, Walt Nauta's motion, Walt Nauta claims that he didn't know that this was a hearing coming up on July 14th, like, the whole world knew this was a hearing. And by the way, we reached out to Walt Nauta's out-of-state lawyer, Stanley Woodward, and he didn't oppose our filing. He never told us that he was unavailable. We filed this with his consent on that date. And by the way, his other lawyer, Sasha Dayton, we don't care if she has the clearance yet. She should just show up at the hearing. So he's got two lawyers. One of them can show up. Enough with these excuses. And I think because... The DOJ just made um, Walt Nauta's lawyers look so bad. Surprisingly, like right before we were about to go live, Donald Trump's lawyer, Christopher Keis, who's known as being a more reasonable lawyer, whose approach is usually kind of compromise and let's figure it out and let's work together. He came up with, he made a filing saying that actually they would be available on July 18th. And that, you know, the DOJ and, and them should all do it on July 18th. So I think the hearing will be moved from July 14th to July 18th, which is fine. But that's a smart move by Christopher Keist because you don't want to look unreasonable in that motion when, especially playing with Judge Eileen Cannon's schedule, because why pick that fight with her? If they believe, this is what Christopher, I'm giving you the thought of Christopher Keis. I'm giving you the thought of the maniacal lawyer representing Donald Trump. Look, we've got Judge Eileen Cannon, who's probably on our side on bigger issues. Why would we pick a fight over this issue and potentially lose it and piss her off? Why don't we look like we're being reasonable because we are about to file a motion where we're going to be making our real significant ask here, which is to delay this case, I think. This is my prediction. The filing could happen again any moment, even while we're live. It just hasn't happened yet. I think what Trump's going to request is a status conference to take place on trial setting after the 2024 election. Special counsel Jack Smith has asked for a trial date of December 12th of 2023. Judge Eileen Cannon gave Trump and Nauta until July 10th, um, midnight, uh, East Coast time, to file 
their response to that. So I think that Keist was like, we need to look reasonable on this one because we're going to make this request. Now, the other motion hasn't been filed yet. I could be completely wrong, but that's what I think the strategy is behind it. And um, we will we will see what happens there. But Brett, Jordy, any comments you got on, on that one? No comments. Uh, we'll see how that story develops. We'll bring you all the updates as uh, as we always have been. Um, I think it, I am just like knee deep in this indictment. I'm like so fascinated by this other indictment. <laughs> I just keep looking it up. I'm just so curious. I just would love to get confirmation because there is a Trump advisor who is mentioned throughout this thing constantly. And I'm so curious to get confirmation on who that is, if it is Bannon or if it is somebody else. Um, so I'm just, I, I'm fixated on it, but you know, we're, we're going to keep working into it. And when we actually have the answers there, we'll be sure to let you know. But let's face it, Ben, with, with the other situation, um, the, the other crimes, um, they, they, they got to assume right now that they have a friendly judge in Eileen Cannon. So it's like, why shoot yourself in the foot, so to speak? Like, why make all these unforced errors? Um, now, I'd be curious to just see how long... Chris Keiss's advice is taken uh, <laughs> by somebody like Donald Trump because Trump has uh, quite infamously, uh, you know, uh, pushed away Chris Keiss and his advice, which probably would have even prevented him from being indicted at all, and instead decided to go with the likes of uh, the incredible advice of non-attorneys uh, such as Tom Fitton and other uh, social media influencers and other types who just want to tell Donald Trump what he wants to hear. Um, so, you know, it falls kind of in Trump's court with this one, but, you know, it's it's pretty clear that the Department of Justice at this point is not going to be putting up with any of these delay tactics. By now, let's face it, everybody knows the games that the Trumps are playing. Everybody knows what's going on. They do it every single time. You know that Nauta, Nauta's attorneys are being paid for by the Trump or by Donald Trump, by a super PAC. Um, the thing that really just baffles me, <laughs> they, they're like falling, Jordan Ben and falling back and forth. It's quite distracting. <laughs> um, the thing that, you know, here, here's what I'm curious to get your take on as well. It's that we saw this video that you referenced before, and it was the video of Nauta and Trump in Vegas. And like they may, they may as well have been like hugging the whole time. Like, like Nauta was within like yeah. two feet of Trump. Like uh, he was really keeping a very close eye. On right, you know Walt's nickname, yeah? Walt Nauta going anywhere? Oh, look at that. Okay, okay, all right, all right. Um, apparently, he's not going anywhere because Donald Trump doesn't want him going anywhere. Um, but as part of the conditions, though, that the judge said here is he's not allowed to be discussing this case with Nauta, right? Does anybody, does anybody out there think that Donald Trump and Walt Nauta are not discussing this case? Does anybody think that Donald Trump has the self-control to not bring up this case with Walt Nauta, the details of this case? the defenses, all of that. You really think that he cannot hold that he can hold himself back when he's around NASA twenty four seven, seven days a week? I mean give me a break. Not even for one second. I bet it's literally the only thing he talks about. <laughs> I like I can't imagine any other I mean any other conversations. That'll yeah. probably get grab me a coke or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. Before talking about Fulton County, Georgia and the grand jury there, you saw this post by Jack White from the official Jack White Instagram account. So there was, this, was it a UFC fight this weekend? 
um, in Vegas yeah. that Donald Trump attended, and so he was there, and, and Dana White was there, and Guy Fieri was there, and Mel Gibson, and Mark Wahlberg, and they were all hanging what out a, with... What a crew, huh? They were, they were all hanging out with Donald Trump, malignant narcissists, I guess, kind of flocked together. Dang, Wahlberg was kicking it with Trump? Wahlberg, Wahlberg was apparently kicking it with Trump. And... and and here's what uh, Jack White said, and, and I love this quote. He goes, anybody who, quote, normalizes or treats this disgusting, fascist, racist con man, disgusting piece of shit, Trump, with any level of respect, is also disgusting in my book. That's you, Joe Rogan, you, Mel Gibson, you, Mark Wahlberg, you, Guy Fieri. This is a statement from me, not a discussion, debate, Jack White. And he's right. I mean, that's the reality. You know, this isn't, this, this, this is life or death stuff right here. You know, and Donald Trump's conduct is lethal. Donald Trump's conduct is destructive. And Donald Trump's conduct is fascist, and to give him a platform to cheer for him, to put your arm around him, to laugh around him, you know, is really rep is really reprehensible. You know, you are the company you keep. So if the company you keep is Donald Trump, it says it says a lot about you. And I think Jack White um, put it into I think very, very, very um, kind of precise and apt terms. And, you know, one of the things, too, I saw, Brett, you saw that interview that Donald Trump gave uh, with some press in Nevada also, and he, like, talked about, like, he said this, he said the state of Nevada is a disgrace. Yeah, like it was he, like a, it was like a local, like an independent, like, uh, not even like a big paper or anything, it was the Nevada Globe, it was called the Nevada Globe. And here, here's the, the interviewer notes, Trump lost Nevada two times in the general election and asked how he was going to win this time. Trump responded by saying he actually won both times by a lot. And then he called Nevada a, quote, disgraceful state. You know, one of the things about Nevada and the vote is they have, you know, with specifically the Vegas area, the unions are, are so strong that represent the workers. In, in the hotels and the workers in Vegas. And it is a very, very, very kind of strong voting group that recognizes that this Trump crap is a total grift. They recognize that Trump will always stand against the worker at every single step of the way. And that's, you know, where... Um, again, Biden's message is resonating, where Democrats' message is resonating, where, where people who, who care about just the jobs and wages and, and working conditions and, and health care. And, you know, and, and these, are, these are the issues that people wake up and think about or talk about or care about. This is the stuff that affects their lives. And so when I do that new format where I compare what Biden's saying with what Trump is saying. It's always Donald Trump saying, Jack Warthog, oh my God, the election of 2020, wah, wah, wah. You know, when it's always President Biden saying, here's what I'm gonna do to continue to lower prescription drug prices. I know that medication can be expensive. Here's what I'm gonna do. Here's how I'm going to help make education more affordable and accessible. Here's what I'm doing to make sure that women can control their body. 
here's what I'm doing with veterans. Like, and that, and he talks about his actual policies. And so if that's what you're into in politics, like actually the government working and delivering for you and people who are trying to do their best, not always succeeding, but trying to do their best to deliver things. I don't know, that, that, that's kind of my view and version of, of politics. And, and that's why this democratic pro-democracy coalition, I think, is going to continue to expand. You know, one of the things I saw, too, you know, if you saw this, we were talking about Arizona before, very soon the independent uh, people who are independents in Arizona will exceed Republicans. Um, it's a, That's about to take place. So the Republican Party is not going to be the biggest party, you know, and independents are going to be voting Democrats, and that's what we see time and time again, because they recognize that these MAGA Republicans aren't true, and they see, oh, John MAGA, they see, you know, the possum is going to be eaten by the bald eagle, and it's like, okay, what are you, what are you, demonic, possession, you know, they're like, no, nah, I'm just going to vote for the Democrat who's I may not agree with on everything, but they're going to, like, focus on issues and run the country and not be crazy and do their best. So, yeah, that's where I'm going. Okay, Georgia, 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 Fulton County Grand Jury um, Selection set to take place on Tuesday, July 11th. You'll recall that uh, Fulton County District Attorney Bonnie Willis took a two-step approach. The first was impaneling a special grand jury, which does a report and makes recommendations about indictments. Most of that report remains under seal today, meaning we can't see it. Only a few portions had the redactions removed, which didn't really tell us much. So when the grand jury is selected, and people go, well, what's a grand jury? It's the selection process is almost like a regular jury. You know, people are called in, they get the letters, they show up, they're selected, they get impaneled, and then a prosecutor puts on evidence before the grand jury. There's usually not even a judge in the room. Um, and so the prosecutor manages the grand jury. And at the end of the process, the prosecutor asks for an indictment. If ultimately there's some disputes that arise in the grand jury process, that could go before a judge to make decisions, but usually there's not really a judge who's involved in that process. Because the special purpose grand jury has already prepared its uh, report, one of the things that Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis could simply do if she wanted to is just basically show that report to the grand jury and say, here's the summary of the other witnesses, here is the report, what they're recommending, I'm going to ask that you indict based on the report. You could potentially just do that. I don't think that's all that uh, Fulton County DA, Fawny Willis, is going to do. She's been using the time between the gap of when the special purpose grand jury finished its report and the selection of this grand jury during the fourth term of the Fulton County Superior Court. She's been flipping those fake electors, and more and more of them have been cooperating with her. We've talked about that here on the Midas Touch Network with respect to other filings that have been made um, uh, before the grand jury has been impaneled. So I think she'll bring in some of those fake electors before the grand jury, perhaps some other witnesses that didn't testify already. And I, I think it'll be wrapped up in, in about two or three weeks. And um, based on previous correspondence that she sent to the sheriff's department, as well as internally to her office and to superior court judges, She's saying, like, be prepared for something big to happen 
in that July 31 to August 18 period. And so that's why we think that that's um, the date of when it's going to take place. We're going to cover it. There's someone named Ann Bauer over at Lawfare Reports as well. Anna and Bauer. She, Anna Bauer. Um, and she, uh, she, shows, she, she kind of shows up there at, at the courthouse and does some good reporting outside. So that's what we got going on in Georgia. Alina Haba no longer representing Donald Trump anymore as well on any of the legal cases. So she was removed as Trump's lawyer on all of the like actual cases. I mean, she was sanctioned a million dollars with Donald Trump close to it by a federal judge in the Southern District of Florida um, based on her representation of Trump in a special proceeding in New York. She was He was held in contempt and had to pay $110,000 there. She just filed that frivolous lawsuit against E. Jean Carroll, where she sued E. Jean Carroll for defamation as a cross complaint, which was kind of like horrific and, and really, really disgusting. And I thought she was going to be sanctioned there. I still think she's going to be um, sanctioned there. And Joe Takapina wouldn't even uh, sign it. But Donald Trump says that. She will now be the general counsel of the Save America Pact, which oh is under criminal investigation. <laughs> special counsel Jack Smith. So you got a lot. And she's of also going to be the legal spokesperson. We all know she always does a great job for Donald Trump when she appears <laughs> on TV. So you know, con congrats to Alina Haba and congrats to Trump on making that official as the official spokesperson for Donald Trump. Alina Hoppe. What more could you ask for if you're a defendant in some of the most serious criminal cases ever in the history of this movie? Jordy's going to get mad at me if I don't say this. We're running out of convict. You say it. You We're say running it. out of convict 45 or convict 45 pins and shirts. You go to store.midastouch.com. 100% union made, 100% made in the USA. And we've got great gear at store.midastouch.com. So please make sure you check it out. Brothers, we got to record that exclusive pod for Patreon yes. tomorrow. Let's. Let's make sure we record the. We got these great Q and A sessions. We're gonna make it happen. Um, join our Patreon. It's different than the YouTube Patreon. You get exclusive first looks at our videos, and we gotta set the chat for the month of July as well, um, where we're gonna meet with everybody. The last one we did lasted three hours long. Anybody who wanted to ask us questions could ask us questions. So that's what you get when you join Patreon.com slash Midas Touch. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. That helps support the growth of this independent platform. And we'll set that Zoom. We'll, we'll get that podcast up. Um, Store.MidasTouch.com for the gear. Become a member of YouTube for the emojis and for the badges and for all the fun we have at the live chats. For those who watch this only on YouTube, you can do us a big, big favor, big help. If you subscribe wherever audio podcasts are available, subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast on audio as well. Audio listeners, make sure you subscribe to the Midas Touch Network YouTube page as well. Let's make sure we grow both of those platforms there. Is everyone following oh. us on threads or what? Where are the threadheads thread 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 if, if you're on the new threads app, which is just the breath of fresh air, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying seeing so many of you on the threads app and 131,000 of you have already joined oh. us 
on the Reds in like a few days. It's pretty unbelievable um, that all of you came over there and have joined us on Threads. Keep it going. It is. Keep it going. It's a great new home for us. So let's keep it going. Let's go 140, 150, 200K. Let's build that following that we have on all the other platforms there on Threads. We're posting content throughout the day, all day, because I am addicted to it. I'm not going to lie. By the way, we got a great Instagram as well. Great Instagram. Yeah, and they're, and they're connected. So yeah, if you're following one, you have, you have to follow the other one. Like, like yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't have to have to, but I'm telling you right now, like you should, you got, you should, you should do it, you should, do it. you should do it, you should do it, free content, more content. Alex and Alex and Ani, our sponsor is back. Alex and Ani used to do. I used to do legal work for Alex and Ani. I love that. So it's such a full cool circle story. And the company is back. They're making some great charm bracelets to support Alex and Ani. We got hold on bags. I use hold on bags every single day. I mean, it's Real it's paper. really durable. It's good stuff. We've got the miracle made sheets. It makes me feel great. I'm getting good night's sleeps. I proved it. I proved it on Legal AF. I showed my sleep counter, and, and I give that as a testament to Miracle Mate. People go, Ben, you don't get sleep. I do get sleep, and I love their sheets. Mosh tastes great. Tastes great. I mean, enjoyable. Gives me energy. And then, uh, you know, and then real paper. I think y'all know how to use real paper. <laughs> I want. I won't go into any more detail than that. But 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 make sure you're supportive. And I really love all of our sponsors today. It goes a big way to help our show. And then finally, you, the Midas Mighty. Really, thank you from the bottom of our heart. I just can't tell you. Like, every single day, this is a dream come true for me, my brothers, to be able to spend this time with you. This is such an incredible community of intelligence, of love, of compassion, of humanity, of support for our democracy. It's everything I envisioned I'd ever want to be a part of. It's really cool to be a part of this with you. And it's impossible to have this without you. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And we know that the most the most important thing you can do, we know that you do it, is when these shows end, Really, that's when the work begins. You spread the message, you share these videos, you tell your family and friends and co-workers all about Midas Touch, all about the Midas Mighty, and it's so cool to see new people joining the Midas Mighty community thanks to, really, it's your word of mouth and your um, emails and text messages to everybody, and so that's the best way you can help us. So, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for everything you do, and it is such an honor to be in this with you, making sure that we save our democracy together. Brett, final words? My favorite comment that we get from people sometimes who want to like figure out like how you guys gaining all these followers, like how you guys have such a like a dedicated base. They go like, you guys must spend a lot on marketing, right? You must, you guys must spend a lot on commercials to get people. Okay, let's see what else is going. Never, not not a single penny. Shut up, MSNBC post brutally fact checks Trump over his. One thing I can promise you this, I will always tell you the truth. We built the greatest economy in the history of the world. This is what he does. And everybody lets it go. Mm -hmm. And when he was in the White House, 
People let it go. Even people in this network. Well, yes, of course, the economy is the best it's ever been under Donald. It's not. It's just not. By his acts and omissions, That's too kind. Donald Trump was the worst president on the economy since Herbert Hoover. As many of you know, I'm a sucker for a good fight check. But a Trump economy fight check, that really gets me going. My plan for the economy could be summed up in three very Hoover. beautiful words. You know what they are? Jobs, jobs, jobs. Over 13 million oh. new jobs since I've been elected to office. More jobs than any president's ever created in the first two years. Nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs. That's more in two years than he's created in four years in any other administration. During his presidency and in the wake of it, amidst lying about 2020, you'd find Donald Trump boasting about his, quote, greatest economy America has ever seen. We built the greatest economy in the history of the world. <laughs> best unemployment numbers, best everything. <laughs> the greatest economy ever. So we decided to fact check that. Which, as you know, is just not true. Not even close. And it seems like Joe Scarborough, host of Morning Joe on MSNBC, has just about had enough of listening to Trump lie about this. So he went off, and I'm here for it. This is what he does. And everybody lets it go. Mm -hmm. And when he was in the White House, people let it go. Even people on this network would say, well, yes, of course, the economy is the best it's ever been under Donald It's not. It's just not. He was seventh. He went before COVID. GDP growth under Donald Trump was way behind. So many other presidents post-war, even Jimmy Carter. Pre-COVID, Jimmy Carter had higher GDP growth. The economy grew faster under Jimmy Carter than under Donald Trump. All right, so Republicans who attack Jimmy Carter all the time, yeah, no. Jimmy Carter did a better job on the economy than Donald Trump. It grew faster than him, as it did with several other presidents. So first of all, let's lay that lie to rest. And then the way he mismanaged COVID made him actually the worst president on the economy since Herbert Hoover. Let me say that again. By the numbers. That's bioterrorism. By his acts and omissions. That's too kind. Donald Trump was the worst president on the economy since Herbert Hoover. This isn't data that you could look up from Trump administration websites. Here's the thing. While Republicans want to complain about Biden wearing shoes with no socks, I mean, if anybody follows me on Instagram, you know my take on this. It's clearly fashion. If anybody wants to talk about a real booming economy, record-breaking even, let's discuss Bidenomics, because that is worth discussing. I think jobs report, I think, shows that Bidenomics is working. And all told, we've created over 13 million. That's more than any president ever created in a four-year term. President Biden, with the receipts? There will be 209,000 jobs created this month for a total of 13.2 million jobs created since President Biden took office. Beginning all the jobs lost during the pandemic as well as adding another 4 million. As well as 3.6% unemployment under 4% for 17 months in a row, the longest stretch in over 50 years. Over 1.5 million jobs created in manufacturing, construction, research and development since President Biden took office. More Americans joining the labor force. High share of working age Americans in the workforce in over 20 years. Two, working age women's labor force participation set a new record for the third month in a row. As well as another record month of small business month. Yeah. Hold on. 400 97. That is a big, big, wow. big jump above the estimate of 228K. That is, uh, that is 
That's, that's double of what economists uh, have predicted. 497,000 jobs added on private payroll. Well, that's not recessionary at all. By the way, look at the economist spread here. The estimates were anywhere from 95,000 jobs added for ADP to 334,000 jobs for ADP. So this is even in the, I mean, the range didn't even get anywhere near the actual number uh, that we got. But yeah, private sector jobs, Sean, 497,000 your reactions. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a testament to the strength of the U.S. economy. I would, I would expect there'll be some revision to that number. It's so far out of line. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what's going on right now. The U.S. economy continues to sort of, you know, move along in a very rapid pace. And I love it. You said it at the top. The receipts, right? The Bidenomics is working. It is actually working. You see that in a jobs report. And I think one of the most important ways that it's clear that you see it is when you have congressional Republicans, as you stated at the top, who voted no, who voted no for many of these key signature economic policies and then they go back to their district or to their state and brag about it brag about the work that the president and congressional democrats have done and i think that that is so telling that is probably one of the biggest receipts that you can ever get but as you as you saw from the president at the top 13.2 million jobs created in the last two years under this president which is really important to note if you look at the unemployment rate it's under 4%. We haven't we haven't seen anything like that in 50 years, and it stay, has stayed under 4% for 17 months. All of those things are incredibly important. Wages are strong. They're rising. They're going up. Inflation is going down. You look at the last 11 months, it's gone down by 50%. All of these things are part of binomics. All of these things are part of what the economic policy that the president has put forward. And let's not forget, when he walked into the administration, the economy was at a free fall. Yeah, after yet another surging job report last week. Biden's economy is stronger than ever. Well, his jobs report shows employers added 339,000 jobs last month, blowing through expectations for May. That is well above even the pace that we had seen in the month of April, which was revised up to 294,000. There's a nifty chart floating around social media. Everyone should check it out. The U.S. has the highest post-pandemic growth in the G7 and the lowest inflation. All the countries we compare ourselves to, 13.1 million jobs created. So, yes, all the ones that were lost during COVID came back. And then we're gaining jobs at a faster clip than we did under the Trump presidency. 800K in manufacturing. There are articles all over talking about the manufacturing boom. We know unemployment is below 4%. We have 35,000 infrastructure projects. And before you say, oh, you're not going to see a bridge for 20 years or whatever, there are Republican senators humiliating themselves on Twitter now, talking about how excited they are that the broadband is coming to them. $3 billion. Going on Tommy. But they voted down. Pendle, I think that's how you pronounce but it. fucking traitors. You know, says, like, the broadband's coming. And then Spend the Joe Republican Biden gets party. to retweet him and say, see you at the groundbreaking. Cheating in elections. January 6th insurrection. Persecuting minorities. Isn't that enough? These are people who voted against the things that their constituents are now going to get. And they want to take credit. And they don't deserve it for voting against it. 10.5 million new applicants for small business loans in the last two years. That's the fastest we've seen that that happen over a two-year period. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. She Keep don't up with the no most Instagram. important news of the day. What are you waiting for? She Follow us now. Shannon Graham. She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Tristagram. So 
friends, based on some new reporting, it looks like Special Counsel Jack Smith is now digging into a chaotic Oval Office meeting that was held in December of 2020 after Donald Trump lost the election and this scheme, this plot to seize state voting machines. But no state voting machines were ever seized. So does that mean no crime was committed? Let's talk about that. Because justice, justice matters. matters. Justice, justice, justice hey matters. Glenn Kirshner here. So friends, justice. Special Counsel Jack Smith has been busy investigating Donald Trump and others for all things insurrection. January 6th, fake electors, not just for the classified documents crimes for which Donald Trump stands federally indicted together with his co-conspirator and co-defendant, Walt Nauda. Here is some of the new reporting about Justice. Smith's ongoing Justice. investigative efforts from NBC News. Justice. Headline, dozens of witnesses have testified as the January 6th focused grand jury probes Trump. And that article begins, federal grand jurors probing Donald Trump's attempts to stop the transfer of presidential power after his 2020 election loss have heard testimony from dozens of witnesses in a wide-ranging investigation that has examined the former president's conduct spanning the time from before Election Day through the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, an NBC News analyst found. Special Counsel Jack Smith, appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland in November to oversee the investigations into Trump's handling of classified documents and his efforts to stay in power has led a sprawling investigation in the almost eight months since. Smith was charged with investigating any violations of the law in connection with the efforts to interfere with the lawful transfer of power following the 2020 presidential election or the certification of the Electoral College vote on January 6th as well as any matters that arose or might arise directly from this investigation. Now, in recent days, we've heard some reporting that Jack Smith is focusing on a chaotic meeting that took place in the Oval Office in December 2020 after Donald Trump lost the election and involving this whole scheme to unlawfully seize state voting machines. Here is some of that recent reporting, this from The Hill, headline, Special Counsel Digging Into Oval Office Meeting in Final Days of Trump Presidency. And that article begins, Special Counsel Jack Smith is digging into an Oval Office meeting that took place in the waning days of the Trump administration to discuss how the then president could remain in power. The Oval Office meeting took place December 18th about six weeks after the 2020 presidential election lost by former President Trump. Outside advisors, including former Trump attorney Sidney Powell, former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, 
and former Overstock CEO Security Patrick Burns National Security Advisor for Michael discussion Flynn. with White House attorneys. Why haven't they fucking court-martialed They discussed the plan to have the military seize voting machines in the key states that Trump lost, appoint Powell as a special counsel to investigate purported voter fraud, <laughs> and have Trump Sydney declare Powell. martial law as part wow. of the effort to overturn the election result. Oh, man. Okay, that is some stone-cold craziness awful. right there. But we also know that no voting machines were actually seized. In other words, stolen. Because there was no lawful basis for the federal government, for the military, to seize state voting machines. That would have been outright theft. But I've heard some people ask the question, legitimately, appropriately. Well, if no voting machines were seized, then maybe no crime was committed? I've also had that question posed by some of the election deniers and the alternative facts crew, not so politely in their, you know, their questions, their posts, their comments. They usually preface it with something like, hey, you dumb blankety blank. No voting machines were seized. Therefore, no crime was committed. You know, friends, this topic, this reporting, gives us the perfect vehicle to talk for a few minutes about the law of conspiracy. So let's go to a quick Team Justice Law School class. Okay, friends, let's start with a couple of basic building blocks. Crimes are made up of elements. What's an element? Well, an element is a fact that the prosecutor has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt if justice, the jury is to convict the defendant for committing a crime for justice. violating a statute. So let me does. use a basic example, first-degree murder. Now, each jurisdiction, each state has its own variations in the different degrees of homicide and the different elements required to prove each degree. I'm going to use the laws of the District of Columbia, with which I'm familiar. <laughs> So in order to convict somebody uh, of a first-degree murder, you have to prove four elements beyond a reasonable doubt. First, that the defendant caused the death of another. And causation in the law is defined as your conduct being a substantial factor in bringing about the death of another. Causation. That's element number one. Element number two, the killing has to be intentional. Not accidental, not mistaken, not in self-defense an intentional killing. Element number three, the killing has to have occurred after premeditation was formed. And the fourth element, the defendant had to engage in deliberation. Premeditation and deliberation are um, terms and concepts that are defined by the judge for the jury during the course of the trial. But those are the four elements, the four facts that have to be proved for a jury to vote guilty um, for first-degree murder in the District of Columbia. Okay, let's apply that to the law of conspiracy. What are the elements of the crime of conspiracy? Only two elements. Element number one, two or more people agree to commit a crime. Element number two, at least one co-conspirator has to do something toward the commission of the crime, something we call an overt act. That's it. Two elements to 
convict somebody of conspiracy, an agreement to commit a crime by two or more people, and somebody does something toward the commission of the crime, an overt act. Let me use another sort of easily understood example. Let's talk about a conspiracy to rob the, a bank. Uh, Let's assume that JFK, I get together with a buddy, uh, we're a little light on cash, we decide we're going to rob a bank. We know what bank we're going to rob, we're going to do it tomorrow. That's it. We've entered into a criminal What about agreement. when that uh, whistleblower... We an overt act like, yet. We haven't done anything toward the commission um, of... Kennedy the, the thirds. Let's assume that I go out and steal a car because I don't want to use my they own told car. They told him he was on the um, Mike Pence's car that we're going to use tomorrow. Task force to of coronavirus, you know remember that? Up, and then he was told to fudge statistics. What about we're that? We're not going to go through with this. We are not going to rob the bank. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> we have already committed the crime of conspiracy to commit bank robbery because we agreed to do it and I, one of the conspirators, <laughs> did something toward the commission of the crime, an overt act. And the overt act doesn't have to be a crime itself. In this hypothetical, it is because I stole a car. But it doesn't matter that we abandoned our plan and we never went through with the bank robbery. We already committed the crime of conspiracy to rob the bank. So, Let's turn to the chaotic Oval Office meeting. There's been lots of reporting about how Trump and others decided that the state voting machine I want to know who was challenging who now, to a fight. Had they gone through with it, that would have been a felony theft because they had no lawful basis, no lawful right, no search and seizure warrant to just take property that belongs to the states, but they agreed to do it. But just because they agreed to do it doesn't mean that they committed the crime of conspiracy, right? Because you need that second element, an overt act. Well, friends, look at what we have here. A draft presidential order directing the military to seize state voting machines. It starts out that's fucking treason the right there. Vested in me as president the memo of the is United treason. States, blah, 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 I hereby order effective and... And uh, what else did I want to say? Um. Who to a fight? <laughs> who challenged who to a uh, fight? The order diaper Donald signed to signed. You have to t change every single damn word. Cease. It's not cease and desist. Uh, 
seize, like seizure of the voting machine, the fucking apparatus. How much more fucking fascist can you get? Justice Department, wake up! Wake up! Do do your job. Job, fuckers. I'm not gonna say fuckers. Immediately, the Order Diaper Donald signed to seize voter machines. Voter, not dairy. Voter. See, they changed. They fucking changed it to dairy. So it didn't make any fucking sense. Do that. It's a good thing I'm I'm uh, one percentile for. Uh, reading and writing. Do your fucking job. The order diaper Donald signed to cease voter machines? That is treason. How much more fascistic can you get? Justice delayed is justice denied. Hurry the F up, Justice Department. Do your fucking job. Disqualify Trump immediately, if not two and a half years ago. Justice Department. Do I spell it right? Yeah. Wake up! Do your job! What I want to know is who challenged who to a fight? Yeah, how much more fucking fascistic can you get? You cannot get any more fascistic. That is the election. And involving this whole scheme to unlawfully seize oh, oh, voting oh, machines. Shit. Here is some of that recent reporting. This from The Hill. Headline, special counsel digging into Oval Office meeting in final days of Trump's presidency. And that article begins... Special Counsel Jack Smith is digging into an Oval Office meeting that took place in the waning days of the Trump administration to discuss how the then-president could remain in power. The Oval Office meeting took place December 18th, 
about six weeks after the 2020 presidential election lost by former President Trump. Outside advisors, including former Trump attorney Sidney Powell, former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, and former Overstock CEO. Patrick Byrne gathered for a discussion with White House attorneys. They discussed the plan to have the military seize voting machines in the key states that Trump lost, appoint Powell as a special counsel to investigate purported voter fraud, and have Trump declare martial law as part of the effort to overturn the election results. Okay. That is some stone-cold craziness right there. Yeah. But we also know that no voting machines were actual. In other words, stolen. Because... There was no lawful basis for the federal government, for the military, to seize state voting machines. That would have been outright theft. But I've heard some people ask the question legitimately, appropriately, well, if no voting machines were seized, then maybe no crime was committed? I've also had that question posed by some of the election deniers and the alternative facts crew, not so politely in their, you know, their questions, their posts, their comments, they usually preface it with something like, hey, you dumb blankety-blank, no voting machines were seized, therefore (laughs) no crime was committed. You know, friends, this topic, this reporting, gives us the perfect vehicle to talk for a few minutes about the law of conspiracy. So let's go to a quick Team Justice Law School class. Okay, friends, let's start with a couple of basic building blocks. Crimes are made up of elements. What's an element? Well, an element is a fact that the prosecutor has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt if a jury is to convict the defendant for committing a crime for violating a statute. So let me use a basic example. First degree murder. Now, Each jurisdiction, each state, has its own variations in the different degrees of homicide and the different elements required to prove each degree. I'm going to use the laws of the District of Columbia, with which I'm familiar. So in order to convict somebody uh, of a first-degree murder, you have to prove four elements beyond a reasonable doubt. First, that the defendant caused the death of another, and causation in the law is defined as your conduct being a substantial factor in bringing about the death of another. Causation. That's element number one. Element number two, the killing has to be intentional. Not accidental, not mistaken, not in self-defense. An intentional killing. Element number three, the killing has to have occurred after premeditation was formed. And the fourth element, the defendant had to engage in deliberation. Premeditation and deliberation are um, terms and concepts that are defined by the judge for the jury 
course of the trial. But those are the four elements, the four facts that have to be proved for a jury to vote guilty um, for first-degree murder in the District of Columbia. Okay, let's apply that to the law of conspiracy. What are the elements of the crime of conspiracy? Only two elements. Element number one, two or more people agree to commit a crime. Element number two, at least one co-conspirator has to do something toward the commission of the crime, something we call an overt act. That's it. Two elements to convict somebody of conspiracy. An agreement to commit a crime by two or more people, and somebody does something toward the commission of the crime, an overt act. Let me use another sort of easily understood example. Let's talk about a conspiracy to rob a bank. Let's assume that I get together with a buddy, we're a little light on cash, we decide we're going to rob a bank. We know what bank we're going to rob, we're going to do it tomorrow. That's it. We've entered into a criminal agreement. But we haven't taken an overt act yet. We haven't done anything toward the commission of the, the crime, the bank robbery. Let's assume that I go out and steal a car, because I don't want to use my own car as the getaway vehicle. I steal a car that we're going to use tomorrow to rob the bank. And then you know what? We wake up, maybe, maybe we sober up, and we decide we're not going to go through with this. We are not going to rob the bank. Guess what? We have already committed the crime of conspiracy to commit bank robbery because we agreed to do it and I, one of the conspirators, did something toward the commission of the crime, an overt act. And the overt act doesn't have to be a crime itself. In this hypothetical, it is because I stole a car. But it doesn't matter that we abandoned our plan and we never went through with the bank robbery. We've already committed the crime of conspiracy to rob the bank. So, let's turn to the chaotic Oval Office meeting. There's been lots of reporting about how Trump and others decided that the state voting machines should be seized. Now, had they gone through with it, that would have been a felony theft because they had no lawful basis, no lawful right, no search and seizure warrant to just take property that belongs to the states, but they agreed to do it. But just because they agreed to do it doesn't mean that they committed the crime of conspiracy, right? Because you need that second element, an overt act. Well, friends, look at what we have here. A draft presidential order directing the military to seize state voting machines. It starts out by the authority vested in me as President of the United States, blah, 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 I hereby order, effective immediately, the Secretary of Defense shall seize, collect, retain, and analyze all machines, equipment, electronically stored information and material records from the states. Go take their stuff. You know what this is, friends? Treason. It's an overt act. One of the conspirators, maybe more than one, maybe multiple, you know, people had a hand in drafting 
This presidential order, which is absolute crazy town, it's only two and a half pages. I urge you to pull it up online and read it beyond belief. That is an overt act. That is one of the conspirators, maybe more, doing one thing toward the commission of the crime. Conspiracy complete. Doesn't matter that nobody seized a single state voting machine. They committed the crime of conspiracy. So, if you have somebody tell you that, well, because they didn't ultimately seize any voting machines, there's no crime 